This episode of The First Mile is supported by Montaigne's Further Faster podcast. If you love The First Mile, you'll love Further Faster. It features interviews with some of the world's greatest ultra-athletes, climbers and adventurers about exploring the world's most extreme environments. We regularly listen to Further Faster for inspiration, and I would particularly recommend the episode with Jenny Tuff, where she talks about why she spends three weeks running through the mountains with just a backpack for company. Just search for Further Faster on the same podcast app that you found the first mile. Welcome to the first mile with Ash Bardwaj and Pip Stewart, in which we learn how travel, adventure and storytelling can change you and the way you look at the world. In this episode, we meet my friend, filmmaker and author Reza Pakravan. He's produced and presented telly shows highlighting important global issues for some of the top broadcasters. He's also cycled the length of the planet, bagging world records along the way. I really got to know Reza while documenting deforestation in the Amazon rainforest. He's become like a big brother and a mentor to me. And we talk about that journey as well as his most recent trip across Africa's Sahel region. Getting to this point in Reza's career was as much of a journey as the adventures themselves. He tells us why he moved home at the age of 37, how he found the confidence to make the jump from a corporate job to being a full-time adventurer, and his tips on how you can do the same. If you enjoy this episode, please could you do a couple of things to help others find the first mile. Subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating or a review on your podcast app. It doesn't have to be long. But for now, please enjoy this conversation with Reza Pakravan. Reza, welcome. Um, And can you tell us what experiences have sort of shaped your philosophy to travel? Well, experiences for me, it's it's always been about storytelling. And this is what makes me tick. Um, Meeting people and telling their stories is what I sort of wake up in the middle of the night and thinking about it. Because you didn't actually start out in the adventure world at all, did you? Can you tell us a little bit about your journey to this place? Yeah, I was completely alien to to the adventure world. Um, I was a shaven um, suit wearing and you know suit and tie a commuter to the city of London and spent twelve years uh, working in various uh, financial institutions. But my dream was uh, to one day to make a make a living of of traveling. And th- the major inspiration for me was uh, I, I grew up in Iran, so um, those days in Iran. Was um, it wasn't a place that it was war, so it wasn't a place that you could go and just buy the latest edition of National Geographic, or there wasn't any internet. So uh, my inspiration started with Tintin. That was my window to the world. So I travelled with Tintin to the moon and back. I travelled to to the Sahara, uh, the Amazon, everywhere, and you know, always thinking one day I would recreate those journeys and. Somehow that that was push, pushed aside by you know a career um, and money. <laughs> uh, wanted to sort of make it and uh, want to earn money to travel, and I I I really enjoyed it. And um, but after a while, I just woke up and realized you know that life is short, and I really want to do what I really want to do. And since that the suit and tie went away and replaced by a career in television and and traveling. Can you tell me the story? or the conversation that was going on in your head when you finally made that decision? Because I think a lot of people talk about doing what you've done, living their dream, wanting to go and travel. How did you actually make the leap where you decided, do you know what, I'm going to leave this and I'm going to go make my dream a reality? 
what was going on in your head? What kind of conversations were you having with yourself at that time? Well, um, first of all, I, I was seriously suffering from lack of self-confidence those days because, you know, I was 35. I was an overweight uh, office worker, an armchair explorer uh, with uh, lots of dreams. Um, every day was commuting to work, quite angry about what I'm doing. Uh, but, you know, the paycheck made me really happy. And uh, the, the conversation I had was like, you know, you're not going to get any younger and you got to start from somewhere. So I had to start from small. And it wasn't a time that, you know, I just said, okay, um, I'm going to give up my job and, you know, go to Africa and see an elephant and say life is beautiful. That wasn't the case. That was a build up of little by little by little to, you know, get me to the stage that I could really just do big feats and, and, do something bigger and then once I got to to somewhere that I I was confident enough that you know I can sort of make a living um, out of this then I took a leap and left my job behind. And how did you do that? What were the first steps you took? So um, I, I didn't speak to anyone. Um, I was basically um, uh, the, the world of sort of explorers and adventures was so alien to me, and I didn't really have a confidence to go and you know present myself and ask for any help for anyone. So I was just seeing these people doing amazing stuff, um, and I thought, okay, let's do something small. And I started, you know, I I could cycle, so I just pick up my bicycle and I started cycling, something very simple, doorstep mile, as you call it. So the weekends for me was like waking up early morning head to the countryside and start cycling and cycling. So little by little, I, my confidence started to grow. Um, you know, morning ride tend to a full day ride and then combine those with like camping. I could make it weekend away. And then that lent itself to a sort of a longer journey. I got, got more confident. And then I went to Nepal and cycled the Annapurna circuit. Tell me a bit about that trip around the Annapurna circuit, because in my mind, that's something that you do on foot. But you cycled it or did you do it on foot? I went with a mountain bike. I was really good at mountain biking, so um, this is one thing I could do really well. Um, and I, I basically carried my bicycle for a lot of part of uh, that circuit. It was really, really dangerous. But when I got back, I was a different person. I lived life on the edge, and I felt really alive and buzzed out when I get back. Um, that was it for me. That was I, I was confident enough to, to do the next one. I was going to say a quick interjection about Reza's cycling skills. When Reza was like, do you feel like cycling across the Trans-Amazonian Highway with me? I should have realised this man has a world record because he is good on a bike. He is fast. And I am very slow, which was interesting, wasn't it, Reza? <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was an interesting dynamic. I mean, it taught me a lot, actually. I have to say, I learned a lot from Pip. And, you know, perhaps a lot of my uh, my travelling was, and my lifestyle has been always on high speed because, you know, for the, of the discipline that I of it came from and the way that I conduct my work but I think you slowed me down and sort of gave me another perspective to just you know look around you Mm. well I I found the same thing because you gave me like that real drive and that um sort of focus which I was I'm probably lacking so it's interesting when you do journeys with people that you maybe necessarily wouldn't think would be a good pairing but actually can work out brilliantly so you mentioned focus there Pip at this point when you finished your Annapurna circuit on the mountain bike were you still working in the financial sector at the time yeah it's my holidays and did this give you at that point when you came back you said you felt quite changed did you have a focus at that point did you say right I'm going to now make a living out of doing this sort of thing did you have a, a vision did you have a goal or did you just have a next step that you wanted to take no it was uh, the vision was really 
vague. Uh, I, the, the beauty of it was those days I didn't have any expectation. I just wanted to get out there and push myself as hard as I could for as long as I could. And, and you know, just being out there and really enjoying that, you know, living on the edge and, you know, those experiences. And that sort of perhaps the lack of expectation without, you know, thinking of a you know major career or, you know, the television, all that kind of stuff that came later. That perhaps was the was the best thing could could happen because I could learn things on the job without having this pressure over my head. Was there ever a point where you set career goals, and what was your next step after Annapurna? I think that the career ambition came a little bit later on uh, after Annapurna. I um, I was confident enough that uh, I thought I'd look at sort of a different geographical locations and all of a sudden Sahara Desert sounded really interesting and I thought, oh, well, well let's, let's cross it with a bicycle. Not knowing, actually, no one has done it before and that wasn't the objective. I just wanted to do it. That was the expectation. And it um, took me a while to sort of plan that again around my work. Um, took six weeks off and then went and did it. Because you talk a lot, the word you've used a lot in this interview, Reza, is confidence. So, and you said that one day you had this realisation that you were 35 and that you needed to do something. But what was it that really gave you that sense of confidence? Because I think so many of us kind of deep down, we pretend like we know what we're doing. And underneath, we're just like, I have no clue. So how do you genuinely build that confidence? Or do you not? Is it all, do we all just fake it until we make it? Uh, well, I, I never faked it. I'm, I'm not sure if I ever made it. But uh, one thing I, I would say really boosted my confidence was, um, you know, doing um, one step at a time and, you know, achieving one feat and then go for something bigger. And that gives you more confidence and then you can go and achieve something bigger. That, so that was the sort of a incremental build up. So at what point did you decide rather than just enjoying these things for their own sake? How did you then decide you wanted to do it as a living? What did that transition look like? Did you go to loads of adventure events? Did you go to the RGS? Did you go on any particular courses to make that next step? No, in fact, I have to say I was so alien till a few years ago to, to the world of RGS and adventures. I always, always uh, thought, you know, there's always us and them these guys are amazing and incredible and you know I didn't feel adequate to be part of their world that that was the image from outside and when I got back from the Sahara and then um, took me another years to get fit to to my journey um, you know cycle the length of the planet uh, once I've done that I got back and the reaction on social media and when people started sort of seeing me and uh, I started going to events I just realized oh wow, something has happened, something has changed all of a sudden, you know, I I gained certain respect, you know, people actually know me now. And that's perhaps enabled me to go back to to the people that actually I should meet them before and go and tell them, okay, I'm here, I would like to be part of the game, you know. I loved how casually you dropped that in there. Like, I just cycled the length of the planet as if it's like, you know, I just, I just popped Tesco's. <laughs> it's like, people don't do this often, Reza. Nowadays, everyone's doing it. You know, everyone's, uh, you know, look around you. Like, everyone's doing it, world records, people cycling around the world all the time. What year did you do that? And what route did you take? So I started in North Cap in Norway in 2013. It was, uh, I, I cycled from North Cap to Cape Town through the Middle East and uh, East Africa. So when you did the length of the world you were still working at that time were you or, did you, or had you quit your job to go and do that? There's a 
good story behind this. Um, when I was training, um, took me about a year and a half to put that together. Uh, while I was training, I got the idea that I, I really want to, I mean, how can I make this a career? How can I, um, am I going to write a book? Am I going to go and uh, speak to people? Um, obviously, again, I didn't have the confidence to be a great speaker. I thought, well, I'm I, at least I can put myself in, the, in front of a camera. Um, so I picked up the camera coming from a television background to mom, mom and dad worked in television all their lives. So I knew sort of what to do um, and, you know, the visual language. Um, and I got myself to the stage that I thought, okay, maybe I can do this. And I put the pitch together. But you'd not studied any television? Nothing, or no, not then. Um, and then I started, went around and started talking to various commissioners and, and uh, producers, production companies. Like, literally, no one was interested. So who are you? And then I thought, well, life gives you lemon and you make lemonade. So I thought, okay, I'm going to create my own destiny. Uh, I'm going to go to the film school. So uh, I had some savings that I put aside throughout the uh, years in the city. I uh, went to San Francisco, um, got a room for my mother. She has a little extension in her, uh, her house. And I lived there for a year, went to the film school, learned a craft from scratch, made a couple of short films. And then once I got back, I put the production crew together. I built a team and people who were willing to help me. They really liked the idea and the boldness of it. Um, and they got on board and um, sort of we, we combined the self-shot footage with professionally shot footage in like three or four places where the camera crew joined me and then I when I finished it I spent another year chasing different people to put money towards post-production no one was interested I'd knocked on so many doors finally an Italian production company opened the door and said, we are willing to invest in this and we love this. The, the conditions what you have to come to Rome and sit in a post-production. And for me, that was like the best thing could ever happen. So I, I learned, uh, I put all the things that I learned in film school into practice when I sat down in a post-production as, a, as an assistant editor and just learned how to make my own television series. And then everything started. Because something I really admire about you, Reza, is your absolute drive and determination. You said there that, you know, when doors shut, you just kept knocking. Um, and I think that's really remarkable. But how do you where, do you, where does your drive come from? And how do you keep going when you get rejection after rejection after rejection? It's not an easy one. Um, I still find it difficult uh, to deal with. I mean, I, as the time goes by, I sort of develop the harder skin but I think that comes from my mother she just doesn't have uh, no for an answer she's a producer so she's always been in charge of team of men and uh, she's used to people telling her no and like she opens doors and how old were you when you went to film school when you packed up in London and moved in with your mum in San Francisco 37 that's quite remarkable to have the confidence or the desire as you say Pip the determination to completely restart your career I think it's quite reassuring for anybody even myself and and anybody else listening at home to think actually you can restart at the age of 37 many people go to film school at the age of 21 but to say I want to go to film school because I want to tell these types of stories and I've actually got a specific project that I'm going to do what do you think you gained from film school 
I think it's a very good question. I think the technical elements um, was very important. I mean, what I learned there was pretty much the technical elements. So when you sit in the edit suite, uh, when the editor tells you, oh, this is impossible, you can just go and you know, edit it and say, well, this is actually possible. Or, you know, when, when um, you, know, you set up shoots, you know how to tell the story. So th- within that year, we did so much practical work. So when the year finished, I, w- I had enough confidence that I could go out there and say, I can tell a story. That was the takeaway from the film school. And so you then immediately applied that to the Cycling the Length of the World project. That's how you assembled the team, because you knew what you needed. It's, in fact, you hit the nail on the head. I mean, one most important takeaway from the film school was the teamwork. The film and narratives is designed for a group of people to get together and produce a, a narrative or a or, or, on-screen content. One of the problems with the with adventure content uh, is basically it's all, all one-man band and you know, are not really watchable. They're quite boring. I'm sorry to say that I'm really, really honest because it's all afterthought. is like there's no story. So one thing actually I learned in film school was like how you can tell that story and how you can put a team of individuals together to create that story. And the skills that you don't have, how can you employ other people who are passionate and can fulfill that gap? So um, I teamed up with people who were perhaps the film school graduates or you know the beginning of their career. They were bold and they had time and they weren't expensive. So we could get together and, and put that television programs together. I mean, the, the passion, perhaps, uh, between all the team members was the main driver. Mm-hmm. So you did the cycle down the world. And it was at that point that you'd given up your career because you'd already done a film school. You then went on to make some stuff for BBC Channel 4. H- how did that happen? What was the next series of steps that you took to get in that direction? So immediately after I finished uh, the TV series called Cap to Cape, um, was sold in sort of a 14 different territories and then that opened lots of doors and then I started you know it's not like you know every day you can go and you know cycle the length of the planet or doing big expeditions so I needed to you know bread and butter to, to get me going so I started making short contents and part of that was building networks and you know getting um, some uh, work for outdoor brands you know uh, producing um, small little clips for um other adventurers or corporates or companies, uh, charities, and it was like this short suite gives you a bit of cash, so you can you can you can carry on do what you're doing. What would you say are the skills that you need to succeed in this world of adventure, especially adventure filmmaking? Well, let's talk about specifically on adventure filmmaking. I would say, um, if you're talking about a person who's an adventurer, who's an explorer, and wants to be in front of a camera building a good team around you is the most important thing that you actually need the skills obviously you need to know the narrative you need to know you need to know how to tell a good story telling a good story that is the most important thing that that's the biggest letdown of all the adventure films it's not enough to say oh i'm tired i climbed the mountain i crossed the desert who cares Tell me something interesting. Tell me about your emotions. Tell me, tell me something visually interesting. Show me some human interaction. You know, that, that's sort of a really big letdown of, of adventure films and, and perhaps the work that we did together. Uh, you remember how much research we've done together, how much hours that you spent putting the story together. 
you know, it wasn't afterthought. At least about 60% of what we were doing, it was planned. You know, it was all sort of a well thought. We were, we were thinking of the pieces of puzzle to put it together and create that overarching narrative. We had a beginning, middle and end and all the things that were going in in, in between. Because mm-hmm. that's the thing. I think so many people think, oh, we'll just turn up and film. And that's that's what I really learned working with Reza is actually, yeah, the quality of thought that goes on behind the scenes. And it looks like this polished, finished article. But yeah, as you say, the amount of work that happens backstage is is remarkable. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think I think for ev- anyone who wants to start this, um, I would seriously suggest that they team up with professionals and that teaches you skills that you 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 can learn and you can apply it for your sort of a future narratives because mm-hmm. you talked a lot about good filmmaking are there any things that you think the adventure world needs to change a little bit because ash and i often say we definitely need more diversity in in terms of voices for example in the adventure world would you agree with that have you got any other thoughts on the issue well 100 percent um yeah, I'm I'm uh, a person from uh, sort of a diverse ethnic background, and um, I find it very difficult. I'm not sure if it's because of my ethnic diversity or the lack of opportunities in uh, or lack of risk taking on the UK broadcasters, but I find it very difficult to break into the sort of a UK broadcasters. I just had one. Um, luck with them and he was um, someone else's show my my friend Lev um, you know he was really kind to sort of invite me to be his guide in one of his episodes but that that's about it I, I never had I had really good really good access I had really good really good proposals put it in front of so many commissioners I had no luck with them so as well as having people on screen that remind the more diverse members of the British community that, that they can go and do this sort of stuff as well what else do you think is important about having diverse voices in travel in terms of the kind of insights that somebody like you might be able to bring or somebody from my background or Pitt being a woman might be able to bring that a white man couldn't be able to bring in a travel story? A fresh perspective, perhaps. I mean, you know, lots of our, our, our travelers and adventurers, you know, uh, treating the, the world as as if that is still at Victorian times and, uh, you know, the, the approach is... The way of travel is very different and, you know, having given that opportunity for someone with sort of a diverse background, that creates a new fresh perspective, the way that they approach things, they approach issues and talk to people. Reza, you talk a lot about issues there. Can you sort of share some of the issues that you think are really uh, prominent in the world at the moment that you've come across in your travels that we should be talking about? I think one thing that we covered together, if you remember across the Amazon, was the uh, sort of environmental issues. This is, uh, and the climate change, this is affecting all of us. And perhaps the adventure communities um, are the sort of a forefront of it because we travel to, to places that people don't normally go. We go to really remote places that are extremely vulnerable uh, to climate change and um global warming that is happening across the world and and perhaps for us um, another another some, something that we really need to think about is just how we can share those stories how can we share the story of those people actually are affected they are mostly affected by climate change um, with a sort of a wider audience mm-hmm. and is that something that you covered on your recent project which Correct me if I'm wrong. Did you call it the Forgotten Frontiers of Africa project? Yes. And so you crossed Africa from west to east. Which countries did you go through? And what examples of that kind of 
challenge did you see affecting the people there? How did they feel also about you, an outsider coming in and sharing their stories and communicating that to the world? Were they aware of the impact of that? Was it something they cared about? I mean, I started my journey in Senegal and finished in Somalia. Um, so I crossed eight countries across the sort of a Sahelian belt, which is a, a belt spans across the width of Africa between Sahara and the African savanna. So uh, countries like Mali, Niger, Chad, Sudan, Somalia and uh, Ethiopia. I'm working in Faso, so these are the countries that actually crossed. Um, the Sahelian belt is where the climate change has hit the hardest. And subsequent desertification has led to the biggest migration has ever witnessed on, on planet. And in the English-speaking world, we don't know much about this because there are pretty much a lot of our francophones um, and then we are sort of quite oblivious to and towards the sort of a francophone world. Um, and these countries are right at the front line. They're, they're, these are the places that temperatures are rising faster than anywhere else on Earth. And is a home to most vulnerable people on earth and I really wanted to tell their stories and once I got there uh, I, I just realized the extent I mean this was again this was something like gradually I came across this because I, I went to Chad I spent time in Chad I, I saw how the desertification has impacted the lives of people there and caused huge amount of wars and devastation so and migration so while the sort of world media is just focusing on migrants getting drowned in the Mediterranean Sea, I actually wanted to go there and document the reason for this mass migration. Why someone from Burkina Faso has to leave his country and go through this treacherous journey across the Sahara Desert and then go and get onto that suicide boat and get himself to, to Italy. What is the reason behind it? What's the psychology behind it? So once I got there, I spent time, I spent four months in the Sahel and documented this in, in a great extent. So listening to what you were saying there about the Sahel and being able to communicate that story around the world, it sounds like it's something that is as significant, really, as the Amazon, not just for the ecological impact, but particularly the human impact. And when we think about the way Europe reacted to migration in 2015, the social impacts of it are enormous. Is that your mission? Now, and the way you view what you want to be doing over the next few years as a filmmaker and as an adventurer, is it to tell these sort of stories? Do you have a vision for where you want to be going and doing? Definitely. I mean, I think let's go back to the definition of 21st century's explorer. Um, if, you, if you look at the, uh, the available definition on the Cambridge Dictionary, it says um, explorers are people who are traveling to places that no one has ever been to see what's out there. This is completely out of date. In the absence of any definition, I came up with my own. Explorers are storytellers. They're not doing only chess beating and groundbreaking expeditions. Explorers create stories that changes others' understanding of the worlds around them. That is my mission. That's what I think the visual storytelling and my travels can be beneficial to the wider community that's where i can see i can create values and increasing people's awareness of these issues around the world and normally i go through this process of i get really obsessed with certain parts of the world or, or an issue i do so much research and then i pitch it and finally get the funding behind it and go and do it and i do feel that's what i should be doing and that's 
where I can contribute to other people's understanding about the worlds around them. You talk about funding, Reza. How important is things like sponsorship and how do you go and like strong arm brands into supporting you, basically? Fortunately, after 10 years, finally knocking so many doors, this time I didn't need, I mean, whatever I raised through sponsorship was just for me, which was great. But the the whole trip and production, post-production, everything was funded by a television uh, company. So it was, it was like a really, really big pressure off my back. So up until that point, you'd done everything independently. You'd sort yeah. of funded it yourself. You'd sourced the talent. You'd got the people uh, you needed to work on the project all, all by yourself. Yeah, I mean, I I didn't have a huge amount of cash to, to put behind the, the narrative. But so what I did was, uh, I again, creating a team of individuals who are willing to work for free. And then once we sold the, the documentary, then they everyone's get pay, getting paid and covering the pretty much the cost of the trip in the absence of any uh, meaningful broadcasters who wants to get behind this through sponsorship. So back to your question, how do you go about raising sponsorship? How do you fund your trip? It's a simple answer to that is what are you going to offer to your sponsor? If I'm a brand, I'm not going to sponsor you because you're going to weird and wonderful places and what are you going to give me visibility that's what i'm after so where is that visibility either on social media so you have to have a very good sort of a social following engaging followers a real followers and also you're a good storyteller so you can create value for for your audience it's not only i mean the the, the influencer thing is just going out of the window very quickly and is becoming redundant but the, the people are actually good telling good stories about the brands who are actually genuinely believe in the value of the brands those are the people that brands will continue working with them so that's one thing another thing is like obviously you can always leverage off creating a film and um you know sell that to sponsors i mean these are the things that i um I've been using to to raise fund for for my journeys because mm-hmm. I think that's really interesting so many people think oh I'll just get hundreds of thousands of followers and I'll be able to commission something but actually you're very right in your point about saying are you building a community are you building authenticity are you telling the story in the best possible way so for anyone out there who's maybe got like 100 or 200 followers um, how would you say you start building up those things on your social media just be as genuine and authentic as possible. Create good stories. Um, create stories and and visuals that actually people can relate to it. People don't just scroll it and just unfollow you. People want to hear your voice. And these sort of things takes time, takes some effort. And that effort would definitely reflect on your shop window, effectively your your social media. Mm-hmm. What's coming up next for you, Reza? I've just become a father (laughs) i was gonna ask you about this um which i absolutely love um so i think next year for me i've I've just um i'm just about to finish in the post-production of the current and then the fatherhood came right on time because i'm sort of hopefully i can develop the the next season of the current television series I, i was commissioned to do the second season so Amazing. Are you able to tell us where that is or is it still under wraps? Yeah, no, Asia. Um, so uh, it's going to be four seasons. And um, so the first season was uh, Africa. The second season will be Asia. Uh, the next one will be Americas. So um, ho- the second season was um, sort of signed up for, for commissioning. So now I'm going to the whole process of sort of a development um, and, and it, it really enjoying the sort of a fatherhood. 
That's incredible, Reza, because something I'm currently pregnant at the moment, which is hugely exciting. Woo-hoo! I know. We're getting... It's not that difficult to spot. <laughs> <laughs> I'm quite large. Um, yeah, but it is interesting because I'm quite worried personally that I love adventure and I love travel. And a few people have said to me, oh, well, that's obviously your career in adventure travel over then. And I'm really keen to show that actually, no, you can still travel with families. Um, So I'd love to understand your experience of fatherhood, whether it's changed your tolerance for adventure. And also talking a little bit about your partner, Jale, because I think a lot of people have questions about, you know, if you're in a relationship and you want to get into this stuff, it can be quite tricky. So how have you managed it with Jale? I mean, she is my backbones and she is the biggest uh, support and advocate of uh, of had and um without her i would say i would really really struggle she's a big time traveler herself um she's she traveled in more countries than i have and she understands she gets it and she knows where i would get my bus from and she supports me i mean all these times that I, I was away i realized actually she went under the huge amount of sort of stress i mean i was i spent four days in prison in darfur with sort of a no connection with outside world um and you know why were you in prison i'd I've just entered darfur during the time that uh, omar al-bashir of dictator in sudan got toppled and the country was in upheaval so um they saw two guys with their two with their uh, cameras we had f- p- permission uh, to film uh, but the tribes that we wanted to cover were really sensitive and it was a sensitive time so they uh, arrested us at the border and uh, we were handed over to the f- uh, Sudanese intelligence uh, who put us uh, four days on the arrest but during that four days I was completely cut off from the from the world and um, you know when, when I came out and got to Khartoum and um, the connection was reestablished um she was absolutely fine with it but later on actually i realized that the amount of stress that she's gone through it and it was it was really difficult for me because she was pregnant at that time i was gonna say reza i'm not sure how i'd handle that if charlie just suddenly was like yeah by the way i'm i haven't been in contact for four days because i've been arrested (laughs) yeah enough to induce early labor i think that one i mean she was uh she was incredible and i have to say you know if your partner is supportive and understands and you're sensible and you know you, you're taking risks not like me and you know <laughs> take reasonable risks um you you you're going to be fine you know it's 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 teamwork and um there's lots of work goes into it to build that team but once you have it is great because it is working so in our relationship things working you know we take turns and um you know when i'm when i'm back home i'm i'm make sure i'm around i'm 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 doing my bits um so while i'm away she's covering things and has damon your little baby changed your tolerance to risk at all Uh, i would say yes uh that's the that's the honest answer uh i would say you know i would i would still take risks but uh, definitely with more measured and uh, uh, more sensible for sure. Rosa, I think we could speak to you for another hour, but I know you've got to get off. So I think we should go into the rapid fire questions phase. What do you reckon, Pip? I think that sounds like a bloody good idea. So the first one is, what do you know now that you wish you knew when you were starting out? The the quality of your network, the, the individuals that actually can help you to get your expedition, get your dream off the ground. I stood away from putting myself out there and um, I didn't build that network and try to do everything myself. But um, I actually think you should get out there, network, learn from people, find individuals, 
build teams and do things together. Where did you build that network in particular that was really useful for you? How did you find that network and how has it helped you? For me, the, the first step was the film school um, and the sort of the television communities. I I wasn't in touch with any of the adventurers, uh, really odd ones maybe. But um, as the time went by, I, I started building that network. But I think the, as far as the sort of a narrative and uh, and a TV concerns, I, I started building that network first before the sort of adventure and expedition networks. What is a place that you love to return to? Mali. 100%. How come? Uh, a part of me was left in Mali. Of this country that's um, over the last few years has gone through a lot. Um, you know, terrorism has affected Mali a lot, but this country has offered the culture, um, music, uh, is a cultural hub of West Africa. And I've never seen a place as magnificent as um epic both landscape people culture everything mind-blowing oh, it's gonna have to put that on our list um if you had to give a ted talk about something you're not known for what would it be and why <laughs> um how wonderful is having a baby i can see it in your eyes <laughs> Reza. they're like sparkly lights <laughs> oh, definitely this is um the best thing ever happened to me um what is a tool or technique that helped you along your journey, whether your career journey or a physical part of your journey, that helped you when things were not going well? I think um, perhaps tenacity is is one of the most important tools that keep at it, do over, do it different ways. If this doesn't work, try different ways and just keep at it, persist and persist and persist. And another thing that I really get a buzz out of is solving a problem. And the expeditions, like what I really get a buzz out of when things goes wrong, uh, ironically, um, when things goes wrong and you actually manage to find a solution to it, that is the part I say, ah, yes, got it. Or in the edit or in life, you know, problem solving is something I absolutely love. I I can completely empathise with that. When I'm out on expeditions in particular, when you're trying to get across a particular border or find a particular story and somehow through a random connection in a cafe you end up getting the story that you need and finding the person you want it's a wonderful moment i've just learned that yeah. i'm friends with sadists <laughs> <laughs> common theme in my friendships clearly um reza do you have any recommendations of books films podcasts or any other resources that might be useful to our listeners um on the topics that we've talked about well listen to your podcast thanks reza <laughs> um Resources, perhaps, um, you know, the, this country has the most amount of adventures and lots of history and incredible individuals, uh, especially in Royal Geographical Society and sort of adventure communities. Um, do not do the mi- mistake that I did. I stood away from the, uh, from actually putting myself out there, networking and uh, going to talks and learn from other people. I just try to do my own stuff. But you don't need to reinvent a wheel. Just get out there, go to talks, listen to people, approach people, talk to them, learn their lessons. Um, you know, the stuff that actually they did wrong, don't do those stuff. And th- there's no shortage of those people in this country. Wicked. Final question. What would you do if you were not doing what you do now? Oh, that's an interesting one. Um, I would make feature films. I would do uh, Western feature films. 
Ah, very sort of Tarantino style uh, Reza it's been absolutely wonderful to have you on the first mile thank you so much for taking the time out congratulations again on becoming a dad and I can't wait to see the new series oh thank you so much guys thank you it's very very kind of you to invited me and feel very privileged oh, thanks Reza it's been amazing and if you want to hear more from Reza do follow him at Reza Pakravan um, and do let us know what you think of the show we love your feedback and ideas so subscribe leave a review all that good stuff and see you next week thanks Reza thank you thanks for listening to that episode of The First Mile Pip and I have really enjoyed making the show and we would love it if more people could hear it so if you've enjoyed that episode please could you do a couple of things to help others find The First Mile subscribe to the podcast leave us a rating or a review on your podcast app the review doesn't have to be long even a thumbs up will do Then send the link to this episode to a friend who might be interested or take a screenshot of this episode and share it on social media. Make sure you tag us on at Ash Bardwaj and at Pip Stewart and we'll be sure to share it too. Then go put your feet up and have a nice cup of tea. So thanks guys for listening and we'll see you next time on The First Mile. This episode of The First Mile was supported by Montaigne's Further Faster podcast. Each episode of Further Faster is packed with inspiration and insight about extreme exploration and adventure, and we listen to it whenever we want to blow our minds about what's possible. Just search for Further Faster on your podcast app to find it.